Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. Brought to you by Elite Consulting Partners, it's the only podcast offering unfiltered guidance and direct advice for all things concerning financial advisors, RIAs, and the practitioners in the wealth management business. Learn more and subscribe today at EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcast. And now, here's your host, Frank LaRosa. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. I am your host, Frank LaRosa, uh, and I am joined today and honored to have a very, very special guest on with me today, uh, Steve Drum, uh, who's a former Navy SEAL Master Chief. Um, I'm going to give you some background on Steve in a minute here, but Steve, welcome welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks so much for having me on, Frank. I appreciate it. No, I, uh, it's, it's an honor. Um, so for my audience... Um, we I had Steve uh, speak at our um, at our national conference a few weeks ago, and he did a great job talking about some things. He's uh, recently ri- written a book called Perform on the X, um, so you can you can get that on Amazon. It's a tremendous book. Um, I'm about halfway through it, but today I wanted to bring on Steve because of his background to talk about something that is not talked about enough in our industry, and that is sort of leadership through peace and leadership through crisis. And I'll get into that in a little bit. But let me just give everybody a little bit of a of a of a background on Steve. Um, so Steve is a a master chief. Uh, he spent 27 years as a senior leader. He's developed and led high performance teams in combat at every level in the most challenge most challenging and extreme environments. Some of the stories that he told us uh, during our conference were pretty wild. Um, he was a principal architect of the Navy Warrior Toughness Program. Uh, which is instrumental in building tougher and more resilient Navy sailors and officers. Uh, like I said, he's the uh, author of a new book, Life on the X as a Navy SEAL, a guide to meeting any challenges and cur- through courage, confidence, and readiness. Um, as a speaker and a consultant, he helps leaders and teams prepare for challenges um, and adversity, leading to stronger collaboration, enhanced execution, and greater outcomes. And that is why I wanted him on the call today to talk about some of these things, stronger collaboration, enhanced execution, uh, challenges through adversity. And specifically, people are thinking, well, what does that have to, what does a Navy SEALs adversity have to do with financial services? Um, I I was talking to Steve early on and uh, just giving him some insight. And I think because of the the transition for advisors that are going from the W-2 world working at a Merrill Lynch or Morgan Stanley or Wells Fargo, whatever the firm is, um, and they're moving towards independence to be entrepreneurs. They're moving essentially from being a practitioner to to being the business owner. And by default, they become the leader. And I think that there's a lot of really great advisors out in the industry that maybe aren't sure how to fit into those shoes. Um, and they And we'll talk about this a little bit, Steve, and we can maybe start with this if you want, but it, the floor will be yours to talk about the difference between being a manager and being a leader, um, and and what that and how that's different in in times of what I'll call peace, um, and versus times of adversity. And when I mean peace in our world is market's fine, the market's nothing's going crazy, market goes up and down, but at some point we will have another market crisis, um, and we'll have a major pullback and another you know 08, 09 or 2000 2001 and you know being prepared ahead of time knowing how you're going to react during those periods of time is important so so Steve without me sort of ranting on anymore uh welcome to the show 
um, maybe give a little bit of an additional to um, background on your history as a master chief. You know, what was that like? And then maybe just talk about uh, leadership in general. Um, we'll go from there. Okay. Yeah, sure. So I, as you said in the bio, 27 years, and I spent pretty much my whole time on the East Coast SEAL teams. And then the last tour that I did basically said, hey, you're going to make probably your final rank, which is going to be Master Chief E9. You're going to have to move. You can't stay here. You've been on the East Coast the whole time. There's billets far and wide that we need to fill. And one of those ended up being up at the Navy's boot camp up in Great Lakes, Illinois, right now north of Chicago. And I was there initially to work the program that helped onboard young men and women into the Navy that had contracts, you know, truck contracts for programs such as SEAL diver, air rescue swimmer, you know, those most difficult mentally, physically demanding programs. It was our job to get them ready for their next phase in the selection process or pipeline. And while I was there, I was basically tapped by the Admiral in charge of Ascension, which is all all enlisted in officers aside from the Naval Academy coming into the military. And he said, hey, we got to make our sailors and officers tougher, like warriors. They're not really of that mindset right now. So we want you, a chaplain and a psychologist, to create a program. And that's what we did. We created a program. We started uh, at boot camp. And we used things such as mindfulness, uh, stoicism, uh, uh, mental performance skills, you know, uh, like sports psychology techniques, and kind of also the framework that we use in special operations to plan, prepare, and execute when the stakes are high. And so we did that. We ran that program through studying control groups, and we demonstrated that it was effective. And when I retired in 2019, I took a lot of that, and I distilled it down into content that would be suitable for the world of business, athletics, and first responders. So it's, I'm just curious, what did you, what did you find? You know, what like what were the sort of the things that you found that resonated the most that you where you got the most sort of enhanced performance out of? Like where, where it was accretive. Hey, we we brought this into the into the training program and we saw exponential uh, growth in in a particular area. Yeah, I would say there are the mental skills were very significant. And so we tested that in a couple of areas, different areas, including physical assessment tests, like your PT tests, your, your push-ups, your sit-ups, your run and all that kind of stuff. Also performance in these high stress inspections where you've got to do things. And it sounds, it's, it's really hard to explain the nature of it, but anywhere from folding clothes to, uh, you know, answering all these questions and believe it or not, I know it sounds trivial, but those can be very stress inducing. And, and a few other areas exercises such as line handling, firefighting, we did what's called just-in-time mental skills, performance psychology skills. So right before they get in the pool, right before they do certain things, we use that opportunity to teach mental skills to that recruit, and then we reinforce that along the lines. And so we saw marketable, you know, significant increases in performance in those areas. But one of the things that we hadn't considered that we hadn't counted on was what we call the uh, on-time graduation rate. Essentially, so a lot of times in boot camp, you know, you have people that are going under that high level of stress. They'll often try to take a knee, right? They'll try to say, hey, uh, maybe they will embellish an injury or a sickness so they can miss training and kind of get a break and get to sleep or something like that, which results in them getting set back, which results in 
seats out in the fleet on ships, places not being filled. And so what we discovered was in these study and control groups, we discovered that they were actually becoming more resilient during this training. So the on-time graduation rates increased. So rather than taking a knee, they weren't. They were driving through that training. So the graduation rates were higher. So they were getting tougher. They were getting more resilient. Awesome. One of the, you know, I, I look at that. Um, I, again, I try to equate uh, everything in our, in, in my life. Um, not that it's the same. It's certainly not the same. Um, but I take a lot of lessons from from the military, from from sports, but um, just from operating at a high level. I think that in life and business, there's a, you can always operate at a higher level than you're operating today, right? And I, that's why I think I I I, I admire um, SEALs in particular. Not that all military operate at a high level, but listen, SEALs operate at a higher level, and so I admire the the ability to get more out of yourself right just by changing your mental awareness and and just not self-talk but there's just things that you can do and i think that that's something that um you know we work with advisors that make you know they they look at like moving firms right they're in they're in a painful situation at their firm um and they know it's not a good situation yet they stay there because of some fear of the pain that they're going to go through in making a move to a new firm, extra work that they have to go through to move to a new firm, even though they know it's probably better, they're probably better off at the new firm, right? When you talk about, so they, they, it's like this, um, it's like they freeze, right? They, they're more, they're more comfortable in the, in the in negative situation that they're in than um, moving to a new firm and being a little uncomfortable for a little while it's almost like, I don't want to say it's like being in a gunfight because I don't know what it's like to be in a gunfight, but you know, you're in a bad situation. Like, why would you want to stay in that bad situation? Right. You got to keep moving, right? You have to, you have to do things to keep moving to put yourself in a better situation. When when you talk about leadership, and I want to I want to get into this because some of it is about leadership, leading yourself, right? Like lead people, like leadership is, oh, well, you lead other people, so you're a leader, but you have to lead yourself first right? Because you can't lead anybody else if you're not leading yourself. So can you just talk about leadership from the standpoint of how it's different when you're in a, in a, in a peace, in, in peacetime, right? Where things are comfortable, right? Versus how you have to think and react in environments of high induced stress, right? Meaning that where the market's going to crash, where, where it's COVID, they shut the country down, you have a business to run, you're in a situation that is uncomfortable and you have people looking at you to for you to make the decision, right? You and it's different as the number as the number two guy versus the number one guy. Right. Can you just talk about that mind that mindset shift and and what that's like and how you maybe overcame that as you moved up in the ranks, right? As you moved up in your group from you know, from the sort of the, you know, the green guy on the team to the three, the two, the one, you know, the the, the number one and how your decision-making process changed as you, as you started to move up through the ranks. 
Yeah, and I think there's two, you alluded to this earlier. So I'll I'll start with two expressions, adages, axioms, whatever you want to call it, that we use in the SEAL teams. And, and the first one is that you manage things, but you lead people, right? And so the umbrella of leadership obviously has to contain a level of management acumen, right? You have to be able to manage those things. Time, you know, in the reg in regular organizations, timelines, business, all those type of things. But you actually have to lead people. And this is never more important than when you are facing that crisis, because that's when people need you most. That's when the strength of the leader is revealed, either to be not fit for that position or they seize upon that opportunity. And that opportunity is not always one in which we want. It's not one we wish for, but an opportunity to provide that level of poise, of focus, to get people and navigate them through those rough seas when things really go sideways. And so I think that has to be considered well in advance of that moment. And that's to the next thing is when you're facing crisis, and there's another expression that we, and I think it came from, I don't remember a Greek or Roman philosopher said something to the effect of you're not going to, and I'm paraphrasing here, when things are stressful, when things go sideways, you won't automatically or magically rise to the occasion, but instead you'll fall to your level of training fall to your level of preparation. And so obviously in the military, everything that we do, every skill set that we develop is to be used for the most dangerous, for the most difficult. And in fact, the title of my book, Life on the X, the X is that moment, is that critical point of attack. You know, when you land on top of a rooftop and or your, your, your armored vehicle pulls up to the front door of the building you're assaulting or you're getting ambushed on the street, you're on that X. And so you're constantly gearing your preparation and training to that X, to the most dangerous, the most difficult. And when you're in peacetime, now is the time. Right. It's easy to lead and manage when the, when the seas are calm, when, when everything's moving smoothly. But you got to now think about building capability and capacity. You now have to visualize and look ahead and say, what is it going to look like? What are my contingency plans going to be? How are things going to be sideways? And how do I make sure that I have a level of self-regulation, self-management, self-awareness to maintain poise and focus in the midst of chaos and confusion and, and when emotions are running high? I, as that leader, I have to manage myself before I can detach, see that big situation and make good, clear, objective and thoughtful decisions. Look, I was actually going to go go to that because I remember you you were talking about a story um, at the conference uh, that you were on a I think you said you were on a rooftop and um, you were getting ambushed and, and everybody, all your guys sort of turned to you um, to figure out what to do next. Right. Um and I think that that's a, that that's something that, again, in our industry, advisors fail to think about is that when you're the principal of a practice, your team's looking looking at you. So from from your standpoint, how, you know, what are the kinds of things that someone should be doing today in in peacetime, right? And I say in peacetime when things are com when they're comfortable without getting lazy. What are the what are the things that you've seen over the your years, not just in SEALs, but but you know, coaching, you know, professionals and businesses and speaking to uh people at high levels? What are those key things that people should be working on when things are quiet that will help them become better leaders in the future? 
Yeah, and again, it's about building your basic skills. Of course, that's that's you know a given, but it's also about really trying to expose the team to stress to a tolerable level of failure. Even it's really it's like okay, how do we get out of our comfort zone? So and, and, you know, in the SEAL teams, one of the things that we do is we in the military in general we believe on gr- in growing that leader from the ground up. So that E one that that person that shows up probably any four E five petty officer shows up to the SEAL teams. We're already treating them, even though it's kind of a lot like, Hey, shut up and learn, but it's also a lot of really getting them to look at the lens of leadership. Because even as a new guy, you go on your first deployment, you may be working with a partner force and maybe a third world nation. You may be teaching them skills and tactics. And after a year or two, you're going to be groomed for that team leader position. That always starts off with, we call a trip lead. So we travel all over the nation doing training and there's a lot of logistics and coordination. So we start with training and developing that management piece. So when it comes to different organizations, if you have conferences, if you have meetings, if you have projects, make sure that you're grooming people, make sure that you're, you're having them really reach for those, those stretch goals and allow them to fail. Give them, allow them to make bold decisions. It's like, if you have a bullseye, Obviously, the 10X is the center of that bullseye. That's perfection. But if we're out in the outer areas of the black or even in the white rings, all right, well, that's still good. Now, if we completely miss the target, now we got to reel things in and we got to have some retraining. We got to talk about it. But eventually, you want to have that level of failure because otherwise, people are not going to be willing to take risks. They'll be too scared, too afraid to take risks. They'll be worried about getting looking stupid or getting their head chopped off, and we have to let that happen. We have to have them a level of stress inoculation. And I, I fundamentally believe at the end of the day, it's about, you know, and, and you, this is a military term, right, but this applies to every business. You, ultimately, it's about training and readiness for the fight. And the fight is, is that next financial downturn or, or and you have that 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 client that comes in who's extremely stressed out. Maybe they're going, they've lost a loved one who was in charge of the finances and they are clueless now and they're stressed and you've got to help navigate them through that with poise. But you got to train for that. You got to war game that. You got to role play for that, believe it or not. And a lot of people don't like doing it, but there is really, in my opinion, no other answer but to do those things. To really put yourself in the situation, left of bang, as we say, put yourself in that situation well in advance of that moment as best as you can. And when you get there, when you, when the things go sideways, you choose to look at that situation as an opportunity. Again, not one you want, not one you'd wish for, but it's an opportunity for you to demonstrate sound leadership, guidance, and poise in, in that tumultuous situation. So that's a great point. You you just said something, and I agree with you. People don't like it. Um, and I've never really thought about this until now. Um, what a great training method that it, that someone could go through, and that is role playing situations, right? One of the things that uh, that the military does and SEALs do often, right, is they constantly go through scenario role play scenarios over and over and over. Right? I think Nick Saban said. Uh, something to the effect of uh, we don't practice until we get it right. We practice until we can't get it wrong. And I think that what a great idea that ever, that advisors should work on. And, and your example of, you know, the law, the, you had a client, the client passed away, the spouse comes in that's never done this before. 
What is that like? How do you react? How does the team treat that person? Um, and what a great idea to role play those scenarios with your team, right? Role play the scenario, role play the scenario of a client experience, right? In their mind, an advisor thinks, oh, this is what our client experience is like. Okay, well, have you ever gone through it? Like, have you ever gone through it as the client? And so role playing is, is I think, a great idea and just come up with all various scenarios yeah, within an advisor practice and situations, right? That and I think that with SEALs, what you go through in training is you you run a, sim, a simulation, a particular uh, particular target, and then my guess is um, the the folks that are setting that that simulation up at some point throw some different things at you, so you don't get comfortable with um, you know sort of repetition, and then you're not really learning anything. You're, they're making they have to make you uncomfortable. So have somebody create some different challenges within a different client experience. The you know what is it like when the when uh, when someone walks in the office and um, just thinking of scenarios, I've heard scenarios where clients have moved or advisor moves a client and the client gets the wrong person's statement for some reason, right? How do you, how do you handle that phone call? How does, how does your staff person handle that phone call? How does the intern that might be answering the phone handle that phone call? So I think that's a great idea. Can, can you talk about, we, we talked about new leader, right? And one of the things you said was um, do not fake it until you make it. Um, when you talk about new leadership, and I think that advisors that um, you know they they do really well and they grow this and they move, they they move from Merrill Lynch and they open up their own shop and all of a sudden they're the, you know, they're the boss and you know they're the leader and all that good stuff and they own the company now and and they act a certain way, uh, but they're still relatively new leaders. So what do you what do you mean when you say do not you know do not fake it until you make it? Yeah, and I just uh, let me connect this really quickly back to the from the role playing piece. And again, who do you think should be the first person doing that role playing? It should be you, the leader. You should be modeling the behavior at every turn, modeling the behavior that you demand that you expect from your team. So it starts with you. As, as the new leader that's put in that situation, when I say don't fake it, is that. If you don't know something, if you are extremely uncomfortable, people are smart. They will sniff that out in my experience. You are much better served by saying, hey, look, guys, gals, I don't have all the answers for this. I'm not sure about this. Because at the end of the day, your job as the leader, you don't have the answers to every situation. You're expected to gather information. You're expected to marshal resources, to reach out, to get the answers that could help you. But at the end of the day, you're expected to sit in that chair and be decisive. That's what you're there for. If you can't do that, you're in the wrong line of work. It doesn't mean you'll get that call right all the time, but you can't pretend to know things that you, you don't. You've got to be frank and open with people. You've got to solicit input from everybody in your team, maybe no matter how junior. doesn't mean you have to use what they, they suggest, but you have to make sure that everybody's heard, everybody's listening to, because that garners trust and it garners more enthusiasm for people to get on board and help you move in the direction you want to go. And so I think fundamentally it's that you you model the behavior you, you want and you gather information, you gather input from everywhere using every method, bring in the resources. And at the end of the day, you're decisive in your decision. There's so many applications for that. Um, even just how you do your sit, your, your, if you're doing a planning review with a client, 
right? How do you do that review? You know, what does it look like? Are you sitting? Are you standing? Are you using a grease board? Are you using a computer? Does the computer work? What happens when the computer doesn't work? Like running through different scenarios. Um, how do you handle those things? And, and, uh, and having your, having your downline folks, um, you know, not your downline, but the advisors on your team run through those scenarios. Do you think there's a difference? We talk about growing your leaders, right. And, and, um, you know, on a maybe maybe talk about the structure of a of a SEAL team, right? And how there's the sort of the the leader, but then there's a number two and number three. Like, what's that hierarchy look like? And when you were in that position, what was it like going from from the number two, right? Where yeah, you're giving advice, yeah, you're still a leader, but you're not ultimately making the actual decision that in your world it could be can mean life or death, right? Um, but what it was what was the difference in the mindset of being the number two versus being the number one in making decisions? Yeah. So again, to be clear, I was a senior enlisted leader. So at my highest point of operational leadership was what we call a troop chief. And so a troop is, is simply it's at the time it, it varied a little bit in construct, but when I was there, it was about, it was two platoons. So totaling about 44, 45 people. And so underneath, and so over that, you have a troop commander. So I was the troop chief. So I was a senior enlisted leader. And then as you break them down to both of those platoons, you have a platoon commander and you have a platoon chief. And so the platoon chief really is probably your first real significant. Now you have leadership positions along the way. You have team leader positions. But the platoon chief is your first really significant leadership position as a senior enlisted leader. I think as you move up, you have, the, again, I, I talked about the different areas of opportunities for leadership, whether it's running trips overseas or it's running trips through the trip lead, you're being groomed to be the team leader. And so the team leader, you're essentially a, a leader in charge of four or five people. Now, that's mostly on a tactical objective not quite as much as organizationally, but then the next leadership position above that is called a leading petty officer, which is applies to all the Navy. And you're essentially, it's more of an admin position where you're in charge of running the guys at the E6, E6 petty officer and below level. And once you finish that, then you fleet up to, if you have a good run with that, you get up to the platoon chief spot. And I think the difference is, is, even though we always are our model in special operations is to empower execution. We have to do that, which means that we, once we put somebody in a position of leadership, we have to trust that they can be go on and do things without direct supervision. We have to trust that they can go take, you know, go to a country with four or five people and do the things on their own or, or go and, and take an objective uh, flanking maneuver and trust that they can, they can make that, successful but i think the big difference is when you get up into the senior you have to make decisions as it relates to the strategic or the operational plan so as a, as a guy as an e6 and below in a seal platoon you're just all you are you worried about is is your team and kicking doors in is the tactical piece once you start to get up into platoon chief platoon commander troop chief troop commander now you have to start to ask yourself okay is what we're doing right now is it going to help or is it going to hurt the actual theater objective you know for example is you can go in and, and you can go take a target and you, we all like to go in kick doors in and break heads but is that going to set back 
what we're trying to achieve in that population region. So maybe it's best that we don't actually execute that mission because it's going to damage what we're trying to accomplish overall. And, and those are the things that you really, like we said before we came on the call, it's easy to sit outside and throw rocks. But if you've not been in that position, then it becomes really hard to understand. And once you're in that number one position and it's you, you have to make decisions that a lot of people can't necessarily relate to. And so you have, because they've never been in that spot. And so you have to do your best to communicate that. And you have to lay it out and say, here's the overall strategy. Here's the operational plan. And here's how we execute that at the tactical level and break it down and say, okay, here's my intent. When we're done this project or this engagement, this is what the effects we want to have on the battlefield are. Okay, here's your left and right limits. Here's what you can do. Here's what you can't do. Here's the resources you have. Get it done. Be creative. Empower to execute. So I'm going to ask you something in a sort of a silly question, but I, I see this. Um, I wrote down sales versus vision. Um, what, what I see in our space is um, the kicking the doors down, right, is, this, is, this, is the sales guy, right? They, they, they want to close business. And they, whatever, close business at all costs and let's just do it and let's take this account and let's get that account. And they don't take, they don't look at the vision of, or the result of the vision of closing a deal and maybe bringing on the wrong client, right? Because they just wanted to close the deal. Where if you brought on the wrong client, it sort of jeopardizes the, you know, the sort of the long-term, long-term vision of the company now you brought on a challenging client who's going to complain or whatever. Maybe they'll file a complaint. Maybe they'll do something, whatever. But something that came to mind that I've that I've come across recently um, with with some different groups that I I've been working with is um, I feel like ego gets involved in some of those things, right? How do you deal with that um, when you're making decisions at a high level and you're probably in a room with a bunch of folks? men and women that have high egos, right? Cause you're probably not there if you don't have a high ego. Um, how do you deal with the, the being a leader in an environment with a lot of egos and, and trying to make the right decision and try to, and trying to hear everybody, but still be able to make the right decision um, in a, in a high ego environment. I know it's sort of an odd question, but um, I think that's something that I, I I see a lot in financial services. Yeah, and I think this is a more. It's not necessarily the the example that we or the model that we use is all about peer pressure and humiliation. That sounds terrible, right? But at the end of the day, it's like you perform because you don't want to look stupid in front of your peers. At the end of the day, you you go in, you do. Let's say you were doing close quarter combat. We go in, we clear rooms, we clear a building, and Everybody, the instructors are up above watching you like a hawk and whatever mistake you made, it doesn't matter. It could be me as the troop chief. It could be me as the brand new guy. When, when that whole run, as we say, is done, we bring it out to the whiteboard where there's a big diagram and we go through every single person, what they do in that entire, you know, 30, 40 minute house run. And everybody gets called out. Doesn't matter what your rank is, what your title is, because it's constant. It's it's that radical candor and accountability that is, and that just becomes part of the culture. You're held accountable at every level. And I would also say, again, to go back to the well of the leader models, the behavior that they want, right? They are willing to be, you know, not overly vulnerable, but to say, Hey, you know what? Maybe I didn't get this right. 
And I think that gets that gets you a lot of mileage, as well as you know sometimes you just got to create an insurgency within your leadership team, which means that you will turn to the people that are confident, that are rock stars, that maybe have a dose of humility and say, "Hey, let's let's kind of work this together. Let's you and me. Let's talk about." And you point you you lean on that person. It doesn't. It's not your number two necessarily, but it's somebody that you know has co- confidence enough to to say, "Hey, yeah, you know what? I, I kind of didn't get this right. I think maybe we should try that." And when you have a couple of people like that, and again, it grows. And now you have again more willingness to admit mistakes, right? To say, "Yeah, I I could have done that better. I, I will take a chance on this." And that didn't work out. But that that's the kind of things that you need. But you have to have that. That that level of trust and that level of of confidence at the same time. So you 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 just hit on that. I was I was going to say a, a level of trust, but you have to know that the people that are around you and on your team have the same goals and the same you know and the same mission, um, so that the the whatever they're saying uh, or the feedback that they're giving you is coming from a place of trust and respect. Yeah, you can bust chops and all that other stuff, right? I'm sure you do. Um, but it's really about getting better because if if each of you gets better, then the mission gets, you know, then then you can accomplish the mission in, in, in the business world. If you can, if you have a management team and you can be honest and vulnerable as the leader, which is I think where where you're going, which is what I've heard you say basically, it does start at the leader. If you can show that you're vulnerable and say, Yeah, I screwed that up or I made that was a bad call on my part there, all of a sudden. Maybe some of the egos around you start to fall a little bit and go, yeah, you know, I probably could have done a better job there. Yeah, I, I was maybe too aggressive with that client. That's probably why they're not calling us back uh, because I was I was maybe a little bit too pushy or whatever. Um, I think that's the that's the biggest component there, um, and it, it really just comes down to 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 trusting the people around you. Um, so. Listen, I, I I really appreciate this. This is great. There's there's so many other things to talk about. I want to leave this um, this call today with you know some 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 final words from you as it relates to thinking ahead. I know this is I'm going to keep talking about this, but trust, vulnerability, role playing, all all of those things. Um, I just want to leave the audience with some key points on you know when you think about life on the X, you know. How do they visual? How do they? How do they sort of put that into into terms of their daily their daily actions and making sure that they're they're, they're they know that they're on the X, right? If you don't know you're on the X, then you don't really know how to react, right? So, what would you say are some final parting words on how to how to operate and think about life on the X as it relates to a lot of things that we talked about today and identify that you're standing on an X? It's about Taking an example, right? Because there's so many things that could happen, but we got to start with one thing. And if you talk about the X, it's like, okay, let's look ahead. Based on history, based on forecasting, what is something, what is a crisis, or maybe it's a key opportunity, a defining moment for us as the leader that we could identify something that's likely to happen and then use it and be very crystal clear and granular on what that looks like. And you're right. All right. Well, well, how are we going to show up in that moment? A lot of times we talk about, you know, it's a it's a sexy thing to talk about peak performance. Well, peak performance is not always that. That happens when all things, when luck, when resources, when skill, when that all aligns, we have peak performance. But 
We can't count on that. But what we can count on is optimizing that performance. So look and say, okay, for me to have my optimal performance when things go sideways or for me to crush this opportunity, let's build that backwards. Okay, what resources do we need? What skills do we need to develop? What further knowledge of industry or, or market do we need to gain? Chop those things out into chunks. Okay, well, how are we applying reps and sets to those things every day? How are we doing that? And, and how are we putting that into play? How are we wargaming? How are we practicing that? Because once you kind of use that to solve that specific scenario that we envisioned, now we can start to use it for other things. Now, every time we have a potential, we've identified a series of potential Xs, whatever that is, opportunity or crisis, now we are building the framework. We are building the operational plan for each of those uh, you know, scenarios or contingencies. That's really, I think, what people need to understand is, is you know, building reps and going through those scenarios um, and working backwards. And I think this is something that a lot of advisors do not do. Uh, they just they just go. They just okay. Clients coming in, give us the report. They don't and they don't do a debrief. They don't look at this the scenario after the fact and think about how they did. How could they have done better? Um, so. Look, I think that for advisors listening to this, listening to this uh, this episode, it's really important that you listen to it again. Um, I think role playing is really important. I think modeling behavior is is a huge thing. Um, and you know, I I learned I've learned this over the years as a a, a parent of a twenty four year old and a nineteen year old. Um, and a friend of mine, uh, Ed Milet, talks about things are mainly. Uh, caught, not taught. And you'd be surprised how much um, I was surprised how much my kids took from me um, from watching, not me speaking to them for just from watching my my actions as sort of the leader in the family, right? And so um, think about that when you are all going through a transition. If you're an advisor making a move and you're transitioning your practice and there's going to be stressful periods of time that you're going to go through, where you're going to be getting calls from clients, you're going to be having to make some decisions that you know maybe maybe you've never made before. Your assistants may be getting stressed out, and maybe they're you know they're getting emotional or whatever. Like you have to visualize what you're saying, Steve. Is they basically have to visualize what that whole situation is going to be like, um, and see themselves in the situation, actually seeing themselves. Close your eyes, see yourself in the situation. And how are you going to react in that particular environment? And if you can do that enough times, if it does happen, then you'll actually almost have like already lived that experience already. And you'll know how to, your your body will automatically react in a way that it's familiar with. So listen, I appreciate you taking the time. Um, I, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't thank you for your service in the years that you put in um, protecting this country. Um, and doing what you do, doing what many people can't do or don't want to do. And, you know, this is great. Um, where can people get your book? Um, it's been, it's a great book. I think it's, it's again, it's, yeah, it's about Navy SEALs and it's about, you know, life on the X, but we live on the X every single day. Every you wake up and your spouse is having a bad day or your kids are having a bad day. They didn't get into the college they wanted to get into. Those are all X's. And you have to figure out how you're going to act during those periods of time. So this book is a great book. Where where can everybody get the book and more information on you if they want you to speak at an event 
or they want you to speak to one of their, you know, again, you did a great job for us and I appreciated it. Um, there's lots of people on this that are listening to this this uh, podcast right now that I think could could have you come to an event and speak to their teams um, and get them, you know, sort of get them to perform better on the X. No, I appreciate that, Frank. And also the book is also, it's not just about Navy SEAL stories. We talk about athletes, business leaders, other things like that. So I think that anybody who reads that book will see themselves in in certain situations in that book and be able to get used from it. But book, anywhere online books are sold. You can pick it up on Amazon, of course. The audio book is there too, in my voice. And if you want to have a conversation about speaking or any of that stuff, feel free. You can DM me on, on LinkedIn or or contact me on my website, stephendrum.com, S-T-E-P-H-E-N-D-R-U-M.com. Be happy to have a conversation. Thank you. Steve, thank you very much uh, for your time. Uh, I really appreciate it. And um, I look forward to uh, probably having you you at our next annual event. So I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks so much, Frank. Thanks for listening to Advisor Talk with Frank LaRosa. If you're looking for more advice or solutions on any topics in the financial services industry, or you just want to subscribe to our podcast, head on over to EliteConsultingPartners.com slash podcasts.